0: What uh, happens between being upset about a timeout being called and raising it to a point where it looked like you hit another coach in the face? What kind of happens in between to make that happen? Well,
1: basically, uh, you know, I addressed with uh, the head coach that I, I will remember that <laughs> because of that timeout and uh, for someone to touch me. And I think that was um, very uncalled for him to touch me as we were verbalizing and communicating with one another. So um, that's what ended up happening. And that's what escalated it. Yeah, I guess if you could, I guess, expand on that a little more, what... what no, I would not expand on it. I'll just well, share with you the story, what happened. Well, as far as touching, I mean, obvious, it's obvious touching with the handshake line, There, it must have been more than that. Oh, I yeah, it was say. more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Touching, touching me unnecessary wasn't, wasn't cause for that when we were talking. And at that, at that point, you know, I thought that was, you know, time to protect myself.
0: The voice of Juwan Howard, the Michigan head coach, after yesterday's game, the Fracas in Madison, when the handshake line got out of hand between Wisconsin and Michigan. And it started with Greg Gard, the Badgers head coach, kind of holding up. Joan Howard in the handshake line. Howard didn't want to hear from him because he was mad that a late timeout was called with Wisconsin uh, leading in comfortable fashion. And uh, the timeout was called by guard because he was upset that Michigan was applying full court pressure to a bunch of reserves and walk-ons. Either way, it should never result with what we saw Following that game yesterday where you have Juwan Howard taking an an open hand and uh, looking to slap, reaching across bodies to slap uh, an assistant coach of the Badgers, and today the fallout from those actions, and we'll get to that in just a sec. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Zach, has been with you until 9 o'clock, and I really want to get your take on what transpired today. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. You're a big part of the show at 312-644-6767. The Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Coming up a little bit later on this hour, we'll talk Bulls with K.C. Johnson. Look ahead to the final 23 games of the regular season. The reinforcements are coming when? We'll ask K.C. this hour on the score. But let's talk about what transpired in Madison. So if you're just tuning in and you've missed what happened today, tonight Michigan suspended Jawan Howard for the rest of the regular season. So that's a total of five games. Then the Big Ten acted on that and fined Howard $40,000, which is the biggest fine ever levied in Big Ten history. So again, Howard suspended for the rest of the regular season. Two Michigan players have been suspended one game, effective immediately. Both guys appeared to throw punches in the video, that fracas that we saw yesterday. Terrence Williams II and Musa Diabate both suspended one game. As for Wisconsin, Badgers head coach Greg Gard not suspended. Fine $10,000 by the Big Ten and one of their players, Jacoby Neath, a transfer from Wake Forest, has been suspended one game, effective immediately for appearing to throw a punch in that fracas. Here's the latest from Ward Manuel, the athletic director at Michigan, saying in a statement, quote, today's disciplinary actions underscore the seriousness with which we take the incident that unfolded on Sunday. Simply put. There is no room at UM for the behavior we saw. We will learn from this incident as a department, work to improve ourselves while operating under a spotlight, and move forward in a positive light. As for Juan Howard, now you heard him. He sounded very defiant at the top of the show. Those were his comments in his post-game press conference Yesterday, a very different tone today taken via a statement, quote, after taking time to reflect on all that happened, I realize how unacceptable both my actions and words were and how they affected so many. I am truly sorry. That's Juwan Howard in a statement today. Quote, I am offering my sincerest apology to my players and their families, my staff, my family, and the Michigan fans around the world. I would like to personally apologize to Wisconsin's assistant coach Joe Krabenhoff and his family too. Lastly, I speak a lot about being a Michigan man and representing the University of Michigan with class and pride. I did not do that, nor did I set the right example in the right way for my student athletes. I will learn from my mistake, and this mistake will never happen again. No excuses, end quote from Howard. I know there are a lot of people over the last 24 hours that were talking about how Greg Gard was essentially the guy that initiated it. You can't grab a man in a handshake land and expect him not to react. That's true. I can't expect a head coach at a college to react better than Jawan Howard did. Now, you can get mad, and he did get mad. And I think most of us would in that situation. And he pointed a finger, and he was very demonstrative, and he used some words that, you know, show how angry he was. And I don't have a problem with that. But you can't reach across multiple people and slap at an assistant coach. You can't have players seeing this, watching the quote unquote adults in the room, and then attempting to throw punches on their own. You can't have that at an institution of higher learning. It's not a fireable offense, but there has to be action taken. And that's why I agree with what Michigan did today. I agree with what the Big Ten did in levying the fines, suspending the players. You can't throw punches. You can't reach across and, and physically slap people, especially if you're a head coach, and especially since this is the second time in a year where we've watched Juwan Howard lose control of his emotions. We expect more from the head coaches at these colleges. And I think given a little bit of time to reflect on what he did, that is exactly what you heard from Jawan Howard in his statement. What do you guys think? 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Out to the phones we go. Let's say hi to Zach in Madison. Hi, Zach. You're on the score talking some college basketball.
1: Hey, Zach. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, just wanted to say as a long Badger fan, I think that, yeah, guard strength has stopped him. He definitely stopped him in his pace. He would have walked right past him. But like you said, you cannot take it that far. I think he's still behaving as a player and not a coach at this point. And he behaved kind of like he did last time against, I believe it was Maryland. Like, you got to behave. you got to react better than that. You're the head coach. You're teaching young men how to behave. And it's just inappropriate. And even as a Badger fan, took it too far, like, guard shouldn't have done what he did either but still at this point you just can't keep acting that way and accepting that type of behavior from a head coach
0: a hundred percent and I think that's the reason that this had to happen and I'm glad it happened from Michigan's side I'm glad that they didn't wait for the Big Ten to to suspend him they suspended him On their own and then the Big Ten added the fine to the mix and and yes I know you can say Jawan Howard played in the NBA he's made a lot of money over the course of his career but it's the message that it sends you cannot have this happen again on any team but you could definitely not have this happen again with Jawan Howard in light of what we saw last year against Maryland when he went after Mark Turgeon their head coach at the time you just can't have that happen And players look to their head coaches for guidance and leadership. And the example that both coaches set yesterday resulted in the players, the three of them, attempting to throw punches. You can't have that. And I don't know if... I mean, there, there are two ways, obviously, this could go for the Wolverines the rest of the way. They could totally fall apart, although you know Phil Martelli the assistant coach who's going to be the acting head coach you know in last year's Big 10 tournament when Howard was ejected you know he was able to to help them out but the way i look at Michigan now you got four straight home games before playing in Columbus against Ohio State in the regular season finale you're either going to be able to bring everybody together and kind of rally around this, you know, the us against the world thing, and we see that all the time in sports, or you fall apart because you watch what your head coach did. I don't think Michigan is going to fall apart, though, on the court. And I think this is a, hopefully the kind of punishment where if you're Joan Howard going forward, you take a deep breath during those moments where the emotions flare up, and it's sports. We get it, you know. And that doesn't excuse what Greg Gard did. That's why he got fined. You know, you, he saw what Jawan Howard was feeling. You could tell that Jawan Howard was ticked off at the end of that game. Leave him alone. If he doesn't want to shake your hand, let him go. And yet, yeah, by by holding him up and attempting to talk to him, that made Howard angry. And yeah, he pointed, and he yelled, and he screamed. And you're allowed to do that's. Again, I'm not saying it's it's the best thing to do, but that's a natural emotion based on the act of stopping a guy that's trying to ignore you. What is not a natural act is attempting to slap people, making contact while you're attempting to do that, and then having players on both teams losing their minds as well. Can't have that happen. And you can't have it happen because the adults couldn't control their emotions. And that's why the Big Ten did what it did today. That's why Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner said in a statement today, quote, Big Ten Conference coaches and student-athletes are expected to display the highest level of sportsmanship conduct. I am grateful for the partnership with Michigan Athletics Director Ward Manuel and Wisconsin Athletics Director Chris McIntosh. Our expectation is that the incident yesterday will provide our coaches and student-athletes with the opportunity to reflect, learn, and move forward in a manner that demonstrates decorum and leadership on and off the court. And that doesn't just apply to Michigan and Wisconsin, but every other team in the Big Ten, and ultimately every other school sees the fallout of this. And maybe you pause the next time you get ticked off in that kind of a situation so it doesn't get out of hand, so you don't get suspended, so you don't potentially destroy the remainder of your regular season with your actions. Let's take a time out. When we come back, What's in store for the Bulls over the final 23 games of the regular season? Casey Johnson will join us next. Zach Saban until nine o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The Score.
1: What's it say that you and Demar were both in there closing the game out? It means a lot. I mean, I think, uh, I think it shows the type of players that we are, um, and we're, we're, we're big-time competitors. I want to be out there at the end. I know he did too, because. You know, that's, uh, that's the fun part of the game at the end of the All-Star game. So it was, uh, it was, a, really, it was a lot of
0: fun, and it was close. The voice of Bulls All-Star Zach Veen, along with fellow All-Star DeMar DeRozan, playing big roles in the All-Star game last night. And those two guys, big reasons why the Bulls are currently uh, top the Eastern Conference with the Miami Heat. Both have the same record. Heat number one, Bulls number two because of the tiebreaker situation. But it's been a, a remarkable season so far for the Bulls. 23 games to go. And Casey Johnson wrote about how those 23 games, when you look at the schedule, daunting down the stretch. And Casey Johnson from NBC Sports Chicago joins us now on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Casey, thank you so much for joining me. So why is the remainder of the regular season daunting for the Bulls?
1: Uh, Well, uh, according to some metrics, they have the uh, second toughest schedule remaining, and they play some really good <laughs> opponents multiple times, including the Heat and twice in the the Bucks. Three times. Let's start there. That's that's five of the twenty-three. So start doing the math. You got Phoenix once. You got Utah on the road once. I mean, it's it's a tough hey, schedule. Um, but look, this team has uh, met a lot of challenges throughout this season. So I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing how they how they fare in these twenty-three for sure.
0: They've been shorthanded, but not undermanned in many of the situations that they face to get to this point. And I know they've struggled against those, those upper tier teams that you just talked about, but the reinforcements are coming, are they not? And are they coming soon for the Bulls?
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you keep hearing about the, the internal desire for them to be whole Billy Donovan has, you know, talked about it openly for, for a couple of weeks now. And you know, on paper, it projects to to be that scenario. But you know, as you know, Zach, in any sport, with injury return comes question marks. You know, what kind of shape and rhythm uh, will Patrick Williams be in? Uh, you know, he projects to maybe uh, a mid March return. Uh, that's potentially. I'm not putting there's no there's no official timeline on it, but that, that's where I'm kind of have my you know, sensors up for a mid-March return. You know, then Alex Caruso could be cleared for dribbling and shooting this week. He's due for a re you know, six to eight weeks from his January 21st, uh, 24th surgery. Uh, Alonzo Ball is due for, you know, due back actually in the six to eight week window from his January 28th surgery. So, you know, it's, it's what kind of rhythm these guys will come back in, what kind of conditioning they'll come back in, what kind of rush they have to shake off. How they fit with other teammates. These are all unknown variables, but look, you know, and then we haven't even mentioned Zach Levine's knee and the, you know, management of that down the stretch. So the thing is, though, as you mentioned, this team has been able to weather a lot, even in shorthanded fashion. So you figure you're getting any kind of those bodies back in any shape, form, what have you, it just makes a pretty solid rotation even deeper for Billy Donovan and his staff.
0: Talking Bulls with Casey Johnson here on The Score. What do you credit for this team's ability to overcome seemingly every obstacle that's been thrown its way this season?
1: Well, I mean, you, first you have to credit the players, obviously. NBA, to me, is the ultimate players league. But I also would throw a lot of the credit at you know, management. I mean, they're the ones who saw these personalities – meshing and melding together as they are and everybody kind of embracing roles and falling into line. And it starts obviously with DeMar DeRozan, who is, you know, uh, as respected of a player as you will find in this league and the way that Zach Levine has welcomed him with open arms and embraced his arrival, um, you know, speaks volumes about Zach. And, you know, as you, as you know, last summer, that was a question mark. How, how will those two fit together? Well, it's looked pretty good on the court. It's looked even better off the court. I mean, I don't think people understand, you know, uh, and hopefully the question, the, the, the line of thought of that Zach is this, you know, selfish, empty-calorie score who's only out for his own stats is completely followed by the weight side. Because you know, here's a guy, in Zach Levine, who has supreme confidence in his own ability, is going to be commanding a max salary this summer, and, you know, sits there and watches DeMar DeRozan gets the MVP chance and doesn't, that an eye, doesn't care. He just wants to win. So, you know, Nikola Vucevic is sacrificed a uh, guy who's used to multiple, multiple touches a game in a certain spot. And now, you know, his role has changed offensively. He doesn't care. He just wants to win. So I, I credit the players, obviously, but certainly management's vision is, is coming to fruition with the way this team is just bonded together both on and off the court.
0: Yeah, and that's no small thing. I mean, it, it's not just talk. When and you've written about it, it, it it's a tangible thing—the chemistry that exists between the guys on this team, both on and off the court. And you know, sometimes they say that it takes winning for that to happen, but but I believe they bonded, and then the winning occurred. Do you agree with that? Well-
1: hundred percent. And, and, and players have spoken to that very point. I mean, you know, the high profile example is DeMar DeRozan going down to Champagne for Iowa to Jersey retirement ceremony, but you can see it much more. The foundation was built in the quieter moments back in September when these guys came back early before training camp. And look, a lot of teams do this. I mean, this has kind of become a little bit apocryphal, you know, oh, the bulls bonded with these early season runs. You know, a lot of teams do this now, not all times do they get all players back like the bulls did um, but it, it even started before that. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan were working out in LA together in August as soon as the ink dried on DeMar's contract. And so, you know, to me, and DeMar was on this point as early as anybody that I can recall, this is a, co- a group of, a collective group of individual players who have achieved a lot of successes in various forms who all have chips on their shoulders you know they've all been overlooked at some point in their career um alex caruso has g-league stint you know Demar is kind of the underappreciated superstar you know zach was the empty calorie score you know vooch uh all-star but not part of a hugely successful winning team and it's just like this you know collection of people that have come together and they just kind of bought into this underdog mentality and And they've got mental toughness. They've got—you've seen that throughout the season in multiple in multiple instances. So there's a lot to like about this team if you're a Bulls fan.
0: What does Tristan Thompson bring to this team? And when we watch the Bulls now going forward because he's here, how do they benefit from his signing?
1: Well, first of all. the way he's already been embraced by your two leaders and, and DeRozan, who's a close friend of his, and Levine, who spoke so highly of him. Let's start there, okay? Uh, secondly, you know, I have not watched a lot of Tristan Thompson this season, so, you know, I don't. I know he's past his prime, so to speak, but let's just look at his resume. He and Caruso both have a championship. He immediately vaults to the head of the class in terms of playoff experience at 83 games. He's a big body who doesn't need the ball to make an impact. Um, he adds toughness, leadership, size, and rebounding. Okay, and to me, he—you know—unless he's completely washed, which you know, I'll need to watch him play for a little bit. He, he vaults ahead of Tony Bradley in most instances, but that's the thing. In the playoffs, you just need depth. You need bodies. You need fouls. I mean, I don't think the Bulls are a great matchup against the Bucks. Or even the Cavs, even though I think they, they would beat the Cavs in the series, the Cavs had a lot of big bodies. You throw in Tristan Thompson, now Now you've got 18 fouls at that center position, whether you want to use him with Vooch and Thompson or Vooch and Bradley or a combination thereof. I mean, you just have a lot more options. And I know playoff rotations get shorter, and ultimately Donovan and his staff will have to settle on who plays when or how they close, et cetera, et cetera. But the more options, the better. And, uh, you know, Alfonso McKinney is a, is a great story. Uh, he had that one game, and so eloquently spoke about what it was like to play in his hometown. But this is an upgrade, so that's what you do when you're serious about you know competing for a championship.
0: It is interesting. Yes, it, it's a huge upgrade compared to to what they had before. Were you surprised that upper management at the deadline? didn't make a move because th- that chemistry that, that you talked about earlier is so delicate. You don't want to mess with it, but yet y- you see the way this team has been playing shorthanded. And, and I- I'm sure it was difficult for them to to sit and not make a move, even though there were probably moves to be made. Well, a couple things. The,
1: the, this management team has proven nothing if not to be aggressive, right? So if they saw a move that they wanted to do, they would have gone out and done it. it maybe, maybe, Maybe you didn't notice, but this this management team doesn't really strike me as a sentimental type. So, I mean, right. <laughs> it, 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 Patrick Williams being the first acquisition of their uh, portfolio or their resume or what have you, if they felt that Patrick Williams in a deal would have got them Jeremy Grant and Jeremy Grant was the piece to put them over the top, they would have made that move. I think that's very abundantly clear with the way this management team has operated. They don't strike me as very sentimental. They burn through draft picks if they feel like it's going to be – get them to where they want to go and so my my answer to your question zach is they valued the assets they have and they didn't have a lot of tradable assets the two biggest ones are clearly patrick williams and kobe white and i had reported a couple weeks before the deadline that the executives i was talking to from other teams were under the impression that kobe white they wanted to keep him now You can't say untouchable in this day and age. I mean, if the Nets call and say, here's Kyrie Irving for Kobe White, you know, okay, obviously you're going to have a conversation, right? But my point is, they were giving other teams the impression that we value Kobe White and we are not planning on moving him. And then I was told after the deadline or the day of the deadline that they never really seriously entertain any Patrick Williams conversation. So to me, it's a non starter. But here's the thing about this management team, too. And I said this in the podcast, like the day after. Uh, the deadline, I said it, it will stun me if they don't aggressively act in the bio market. And boom, here's Tristan Thompson. I mean, they they just they have a method. And look, you know how personnel moves work in any sport. You, you you have to have cooperation from two sides. You can't just have a plan and it always go the way you want it to go. But if they didn't get Tristan Thompson, I'm sure they would have another high profile target. You know, I know they're in Andragic. Um, you know, trying to get him, and then they ended up with Thompson. So, you know, it didn't surprise me they didn't make a move at the deadline because my feeling is if they wanted to make a move, they would have done it. And they just, they valued this team's chemistry and the assets they did have, and they wanted to see this team at its hole, like Artura said multiple times in our Zoom conversation that day, and then, uh, you know, acted aggressively in the buyout market.
0: Our final few moments with Casey Johnson, who covers the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. I think the best reality show going in sports right now is the NBA's Eastern Conference, because you just don't know what's going to happen over uh, these final 23 games for the Bulls and how many are left for the other teams. When when you look at the East from your perspective, and I'm sure you talk to a lot of scouts about what they think is going to happen, are you... I it's tough to predict, but in your mind, do you have an idea of how this thing's going to look like as we approach the playoffs? And then once the playoffs start, who should we keep an eye on?
1: Well, I I would just say this to me, a a very good team is going to go home in the first round. That's just the reality of the Eastern conference. So there's that. I mean, like, let's just play this out. I mean, right now I, I, I haven't looked today, but I think Brooklyn was eight last time. I mean, Let's say, yes. so let's say they stay there. You know, it's like, okay, so the, let's say the Bulls finish first and the Brooklyn finishes eighth. Well, is anybody going to be surprised if Brooklyn beats the Bulls in the first round? No. So a, good, a very good team is going to go out in the first round. Let's start with that premise. And then I just – I'm a huge uh, proponent of size and physicality in the playoffs. I always have, been. I'm a little traditional in that regard. So I, I, I just like – Milwaukee, obviously, with their experience and their size and just their know-how, and then I like Miami because they play an incredibly, you know, switchable, physical style. But I always say this about the Bulls: they're going to be a tough out, regardless of who they play. That's pretty. That's pretty established at this point. They are just a very sound team. They're not daunted by much. Um, they are a little atypical in terms of size. In the front court they're very big in the back court um, mm-hmm. Tristan's arrival will help in that regard if he if he can you know still contribute at a decent level so it's gonna be a fascinating Eastern playoffs uh, I I will conclude with that and actually I, what I want to conclude is I never saw you post game in Charlotte so regale your listeners one more time with your <laughs> what was that experience like for you uh, that was awesome was fun. To that day yeah. yeah thank you
0: and I, I mean you you did it before me but I I just think it's <laughs> The NBA is just an awesome game. The The level of athleticism and skill of these guys, you know, and, and I watch a lot of college basketball, obviously, but it's next level in the NBA. And I got to watch a fun game between the Bulls and Hornets, who both play that up-and-down style. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, Bill's one of the best in the league in terms of making you feel comfortable in a radio booth. And, uh, you know, you were helpful. The rest of the beat writers helped me out. You know, Adam was great in terms of making sure I was prepared and, uh, the bulls themselves welcomed me with open arms. So I, I was very lucky to, uh, to experience that. And, uh, thankfully Chuck felt better the next game. And, uh, and I, I got a chance to, uh, to have a little bit of fun. It was, uh, you know, the only, my only regret is that Michael wasn't in the house when the Bulls were playing the Hornets in Charlotte.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say, thankfully, you did not do a post-game uh, celebratory dance on Twitter. <laughs>
0: yeah, there, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, before I let you go. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, there was zero chance. Although I got a lot of text messages asking me to do it. That's Chuck's thing. And I can I can safely say, I am not Chuck. What do you think <laughs> of, uh, of of the, the festivities last night? The way the NBA did such a great job uh, of honoring its rich history. I thought that was the coolest part of the night for me.
1: Yeah, so Rob Schaefer was uh, kind enough to give me a little break. It was my kid's 16th birthday yesterday. So he was in Cleveland, but obviously I paid attention to it. And I and we take we the podcast today with Will Perdue and said that very thing. That to me was by far the highlight of the weekend. And, and what I love about it is if you look at, like, Jason Tatum's uh, Twitter page today, the picture with all the Celtics greats or Shaq's soliloquy on TNT about all those that inspired him or Luka Doncic and uh, and Karl-Anthony Towns, you know, running over to just be in the aura of Michael Jordan, it's like the lineage of respect and, you know, honoring those who came before you is real is palpable regardless of the generation. And that, to me, has always been the NBA's, uh, kind of trick, or not even trick, just like it's uh, what sets it apart. I mean, I, I know other pro sports probably have that too, but I just I'm obviously very partial to the NBA, and I think the the way they honored that history with that with that halftime ceremony was spectacular. And then obviously Michael being in the house took it to another level.
0: Yeah, it reminded me uh, of that time in the Major League Baseball All Star Game. I think it was at Fenway Park when Ted Williams was being honored and they wheeled him out in the wheelchair and and all the players surrounded Ted Williams and they were talking to him and they, they were late in getting the game started because they were in awe of being in in front of that legend. And that's kind of the way the rest of, of the NBA reacted to Michael making the appearance in in Cleveland last night. I do have, okay, one more question. I I know I said that was going to be the last one because you're a former college basketball player too. Have you ever seen, something happen on the court after a game like what transpired between Michigan and Wisconsin? And I know you probably weren't watching the game, but you're not deaf or blind. I know you've, you've seen footage of what happened. Can Even in the NBA, in the and you've covered so many games, have you ever seen anything like that where emotions just go to the next level from people who need to keep their emotions in check at all times, the coaches, the adults in the room?
1: No, I've seen you know, and I played Division three college basketball, so thank you for uh, shouting me out. But I got to clarify that I mean it's still competitive, but it wasn't
0: Division <laughs> yes. one. So let's let's get that straight. But, I didn't uh, say Division. Uh, I just uh, said college basketball. Yeah. I know, I know. But let, let's, <laughs> let's let's
1: let's just say this. Uh, I've seen uh, coaches with the blow by or the angry handshake, or I've seen some maybe some tense moments in a handshake line. I've never seen physicality. I, I just. If, if I have, I don't remember it. And I think I would. So, um, yeah, of course I'm aware of what happened. Uh, watch the footage. I was actually with my family when it happened and watching my phone and just, I text somebody, I said, that's awful. I mean, that, that just can't happen. That just can't mm-hmm. happen. And, you know, uh, not to equate everything. Cause look, we all have moments where we, you know, do something we regret or what have you. So I don't want to make past too much judgment, but like, I coach, you know, like youth basketball. Like, I've coached my, my my younger kids in eighth grade. Now I've coached them from fourth grade on. And You know, I always say to my team, like, there's I don't have many rules, one of them is you don't ever say anything to a referee. If you do, you're sitting next to me the rest of the game. It's like, and I don't ever say anything to a referee because it's just like at that level, they don't need the hassle. And same thing, I never say anything to another coach because it's just like you're setting an example for, you know, I'm talking fourth to eighth graders as I've coached these kids that progressed, you know, and, and Jawan knows this. I mean, I you know, I saw his statement. It's like you're set the example for student athletes below you. And that just that just can't happen. And, and I, I, on all sides, I don't want to cast blame
0: or cast too much judgment. I'm just saying that
1: cannot happen if you are an adult and you're in a position of leadership. You just can't have a physical altercation.
0: And I think he gets that now. And I'm glad both Michigan and the Big Ten came down hard on, on both schools to make sure that y- you set the standard and people realize uh, on other teams, you can't you just have to control your emotions in, in a situation like that. Casey, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. And thank you so much for the kind words.
1: Oh, it was awesome seeing you in Charlotte. Hope to see you again. And thanks for having me on tonight, Zach. Always good talking to you, man.
0: You got it. Thank you. We'll keep reading and watching Casey Johnson from NBC Sports Chicago sharing his thoughts, goals, and more. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, your thoughts. 312-644-6767. Zach Saban with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Zach Levine is guarded by his, or defended kind of, by his teammate, DeRozan, in a chat outside by the two-time dunk champion, Levine. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Dumbo. Get him in the post. Uh-oh. <laughs> there team you against Teammate against teammate. Teammate against teammate. Two guard. This is a two guard. Oh! <laughs> Kevin Harlan, Reggie Miller and company with the call on TNT last night. In the All-Star game, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine going at it. In the All-Star Game, and those two will be back for the final 23 games of the regular season. The Bulls will begin the final 23 games. They're tied with Miami for the best record in the Eastern Conference, but the Heat own the tiebreakers, so Miami is one, Bulls are two, and they've got a a two-and-a-half-game lead over both Philadelphia and Cleveland and Milwaukee in the East. It's it's just going to be crazy down the stretch here with with all those teams. You know, Philadelphia is going to be a very different team once the playoffs start after the trade. Same thing with the Brooklyn Nets, who are currently the number 8 seed. Milwaukee is rising. I I just, I'm curious to see what the Bulls are going to look like. We've talked about all these other teams that have made these moves down the stretch. But the Bulls, Yes, they added Tristan Thompson. It's a big move in terms of depth. But what are they going to look like when you incorporate the three injured guys back into the mix? When Lonzo Ball is running point and when Alex Caruso is back there to be able to give you everything that he gives you, the high energy, the terrific defense, the the ability to selflessly morph into whatever they need from an offensive standpoint. And then Patrick Williams, the big athletic body, if he's right, you can throw him on anybody from a defensive standpoint on the floor, and that changes the whole dynamic of a team that's been able to overcome every obstacle thrown its way over the course of the season, and yet they still have the same record as the Miami Heat atop the East. It is a remarkable story. It truly is a remarkable story. Just to be in the position that they're in with 23 games to go. And Casey Johnson in our last segment said it best. They're going to be a tough out. No matter who they end up playing. And yeah, they might be small up front, But they're big in the backcourt, which creates mismatches. And I know that prior to the All-Star break, the Bulls have had some difficulty against what you would consider to be those upper-tier teams in the NBA. But if they get their guys back, and they're really healthy come playoff time, Well, I think it's a different story, don't you? And again, I don't know what this means. I don't know how far this team can go. But just the fact that they're in the position that they're in right now, what that tells me is I can't be surprised with anything this team does in the postseason, especially if Bulls are healthy. They're coached well. They don't make a lot of the self-inflicted mistakes that that crush teams. You know, they they play a, a high level of basketball. They play a smart brand of basketball. And they're a tough, resilient team. When you have those things, it's a big deal come playoff time. And their best player is loaded with playoff experience in DeMar DeRozan. There's no moment that's too big for DeRozan. And that's a huge deal, in my opinion. Their head coach understands what the big moments are like. And that, I think, has a calming effect on the rest of the team. So it's, it's going to be fun. You know, I think that's that's the word you use when you talk about the Bulls. They're fun. They're fun to watch. They've been a pleasant surprise. And in sports, the best journeys are the unexpected ones, right? And that's, that's what makes sports awesome, is when you don't expect something from a team, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a season like this materializes. It's what made two years ago so much fun when you were watching the White Sox, right? It's what made 2015 a blast when you were watching the Cubs because you didn't expect it to happen that quickly. And then before you know it, they're playing in the National League Championship Series with a possible chance to go to the World Series. That didn't happen in 2015. It happened in 2016. But that's what makes sports cool. You know, when, when the Bears had that magical run in, in Matt Nagy's first season, and you're thinking, where's this coming from? Like this, this fun-looking offense, all those takeaways with that aggressive defense. And that's basically what the Bulls have been this season. You know, you didn't expect this. I mean, the, the storyline going into the season is, all right, they've added these pieces, but how are they going to fit? They never really looked good. There's been so much bad basketball. And now you see them and you're wondering, all right, when's this going to end, right? Then they have all those injuries, the COVID outbreak. They survive all of that. And, and they're not going anywhere. And they're, they're only going to get stronger over the remaining 23 games if the injured guys can stay healthy once they come back. Enjoy it. I don't know where it ends, but they've been fun to watch to this point. You know, that's only going to continue as the season unfolds here down the stretch. Got a lot of people to thank for helping make Tonight's show, an entertaining one. I want to start with our executive producer, Adam Studzinski, who helped us blast through the speakers of your radio and all the great people he helped us listen to tonight. David Haw, Kevin Fishbane, Robert Murray, Stacy Dales, Casey Johnson. What a blast. And thank you for participating in the show as well. I'm Zach Sagman saying thanks for listening This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That's it. You people have stood in my way long enough. I'm going
1: to clone college.